So here we go in Romans the sixth chapter. We are returning to Paul's discussion of life, death, and life. This is such an important point. For the Christian, we have life now in Jesus. We will pass through death, our physical bodies, and then we have life in Jesus. There are some things that the Bible is very silent on, and it is very silent on this intermediate state. I'm, I'm actually started writing my book on a pastoral theology of death, and there is no solution for this problem. What happens when we die? This is all we know. We go to be in the presence of the Lord. Nothing else is explained. We know Physically, our body is put into the ground, or it's burned up and then something happens to the ashes. And that's the end of the explanation. There are times when I get ticked off that the Bible is not going to answer the questions that I've got. But it gives us enough. We are in the presence of the Lord, then the day will come when the Lord will return, and we will return with the Lord, and the Lord will establish his kingdom on this earth, and we will have a physical body again. End of story. Because it's a continuing story. And so often we only think in terms of life and death. Paul would have us think in terms of life, death, and life. We think we have life until we realize that apart from Jesus, we don't have life. So we submit to him and we die with him. And then we are raised with him and we receive eternal life in him. At the same time, we have mortal bodies subject to death. And though we are dead to sin, we still sin. Other than that, everything's fine. This is what Paul is focusing on in the sixth chapter. So we're going to begin back at verse 1 and read through verse 14 so that we can get the consistent flow of Paul's argument at least through the beginning of this passage. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been freed from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in the Messiah Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The word of the Lord. Did you notice any contradictions in this passage? There are a few of them. We're dead, but alive. We have eternal life, but we will die. We are dead to sin. We still sin. We're told, don't give in to sin. We still give in to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. Don't let sin control you, Paul says. We still let sin control us, and we still sin. Here's the ultimate conundrum that Paul's going to tell us. The only way to freedom is to stop being slaves to sin and be slaves to God. We think as slavery is a complete lack of freedom. But when we are slaves to sin, we have no freedom. We are sinners, lost and dead, whether we know it or not. Sin knows it, God knows it, the evil one knows it. The only one who doesn't know it is the sinner who's stuck in sin and thinks, life is good, I can do whatever I want. The only way out of this problem is to find a new master. Jesus says, you can only serve one master at a time. If you try to serve two masters, you love one and hate the other, or you hate the one and you love the other. You cannot serve both sin and Jesus. It is not possible. Yet we still sin. Through the rest of the sixth chapter into the seventh chapter, Paul is going to help us face this dilemma. How do we fix this problem? And I'm here to tell you, you cannot fix this problem. I cannot fix this problem. It is beyond you. It is beyond me. It is unfixable by human means. The only way that it can be fixed is to be a slave to God. And as crazy as it sounds, the only freedom is found in serving God. Why? Because 
Sin has no mastery over us when we belong to God. The only way that we are free to serve him is to be his slaves. And when we are his slaves, he gives us freedom. Paul writes to the church at Galatia, you'll find it in Galatians 5, I think the first verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, therefore do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The only freedom we find as individuals in this life is to submit to God. Then we find freedom. We are then no longer slaves to sin, slaves to death, slaves to the evil one. Paul wants us to recognize who we are and what are our limitations. If you go back to that Clint Eastwood movie, a man's got to know his limitations. You need to know what you can and cannot do. You cannot fix the problem. You can't make it any better. You can make it worse, but you can't make it better. Only God can make it better. The only way to not give in to sin is to submit to Jesus. The difficulty is we don't do that perfectly. One of the things that I have found, especially coming out of Seventh-day Adventism, is that I tend to judge my performance in Jesus based on my battle with sin. Am I winning or losing the battle with sin? Most of us are performance-oriented. And we look at ourselves and we look at Jesus and we say, man, I fall way stinking short of Jesus. I guess I'm not in him. And for the two or three minutes that you aren't sinning during the day, you say, thanks be to God. And then you sin again. And then you say, oh man, have I fallen out? Am I not in him? How come I keep doing this stuff? Paul's going to address that very specifically in Romans, the seventh chapter. Hang on. We're not there yet. But I want to remind you today that your being in Jesus is not performance-based. Not in your performance. It's based in his performance. Jesus is the only one who has ever lived an entirely righteous life from the moment of his birth to the moment of his death. You look at the great biblical heroes, Abraham. Abraham is called a friend of God. Abraham is a righteous man in his generation. He's got a covenant with God, so what does he do? He doesn't trust that God's gonna do the right thing, so he goes into his wife's servant and makes a baby. He goes to a couple of different countries and does the same thing. He knows that his wife is gorgeous, so he says, that's really my sister, because he doesn't want to be killed. Abraham is a screw-up. 
He's the kind of guy who spills soup on his own tie. He just makes a mess of stuff. And yet, we find in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Let's jump over to David. Good King David. A man after God's own heart who saw a gorgeous woman on her balcony and decided that he needed to have her. So he did. And she became pregnant. So he brought her husband home, hoping that husband would not know that she was pregnant and that he would go in and be with his wife, but he refused because his soldiers were still on the front lines. So David sends him back with a note that says, put him on the forefront and then everybody retreat but forget to tell him. David plots a murder after he plots to steal the guy's wife. And the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. Most of us have not plotted a murders. It's not your performance. It's who you are seeking to follow. We will still be screw-ups. But the difference is that if we are committed to serve Jesus because we have chosen to submit our lives to him, God no longer looks at our performance. He looks at Jesus. Because our lives are hidden in Jesus. There is a baobab tree in Zambia. Baobab trees are marvelous trees. They get these huge trunks. And in this one particular game park in Zambia that's mostly devoted to birds, there is a monster baobab tree. And they carved out this baobab tree on the inside so that a gentleman could have his office there. This is the days between before phones and internet and all the electrical stuff. He had his office there and he administered the park from the baobab tree. And he had lots of lots of room in his office. And from the one side of the baobab tree, all you can see is the trunk of the baobab tree. If you drive around, if you walk around or drive around to the other side of the tree, because the road curves around, you can see the hole where the man had his office. And the tree is hollowed out. And by the way, the tree is still growing. It's not dead. It's nowhere near dead. It's still growing very, very nicely, thanks be to God. But if you look from the other side of the baobab tree, you don't see the hole. And if the guy was in his office inside the baobab tree, you would never see him in his office inside the baobab tree. Why not? Because he is surrounded by the baobab tree. Your life is hidden in Jesus Christ when you submitted to him. And when the Father looks at you and the Father looks at me, he doesn't see our performance. He sees Jesus, the only righteous person, because our lives are hidden in him. 
Yes, the Father knows that we are sinful. But the Father sees the righteousness of Jesus because we are in submission to him. Our response to sin is only one indicator of who we are in Jesus. Remember what Paul says. Paul sees himself as the chief of sinners. This is a guy with profound trust in God. This is a guy who did not want to let mortal sin reign in his mortal body. He's well aware of it, but he's also aware, because he is close to Jesus, of his level of sinlessness, but he also knows that has not divided him from Jesus. Why not? Because he trusts in Jesus for his salvation. Paul's salvation is not based on his performance. It is based on Jesus, the Messiah, the only righteous one. When you submit to Jesus, he takes responsibility for your life and your salvation. Your life is no longer your own. We belong to him. By the way, this does not free us so that we can run out and say, Hallelujah, I can sin any way that I want. I can do whatever I want. No, because the New Testament standard is if you belong to Jesus, you will not want to dishonor him who gave his life for you. It's a new standard. It's a different standard. Why? You are no longer under sin. You are under grace. And grace says, I only want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that I live my life. You're still going to screw up. I'm still going to screw up. Jesus didn't. And your life and my life are in him. I don't want to dishonor him. I don't want to give in to sin. I give in to sin. I even dishonor him. But I have forgiveness in him because it is my desire to live for him because he died for me. Your performance in the face of sin and my performance in the face of sin does not decide who we are in Jesus Christ. It just says that we're still sinners living in a sinful place and we will still give in to sin. It'd be nice if we didn't. And that day will come when this corruption will put on incorruption. But that only happens at the end of all things. When God changes us so that we no longer desire sin, but only desire Jesus. He is the one who frees us from the mastery of sin. He is the one who frees us to love him and serve him so that we can honor him and demonstrate to the world what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, the only truly righteous
In him, Paul says, we live and move and have our being. He is the only name under heaven by which we may be saved. And when we are saved, we are saved by him, through him, for him, and in him. And his performance is the only thing that God sees. This is why Paul can say we've been freed from slavery to sin and in slavery to God we find what real freedom is about. For a few moments, every now and then, we go without sin. And that's a foretaste of what it will be like when we are in God's presence and freed from the desire to sin. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for what you have done. You are a loving Heavenly Father who's made a way of salvation for us. May we look to Jesus in whose life we are hidden so that we would not look at our performance but rather look at him who gave his life that we could be freed from sin. Increase our desire to live for him, to want to be like him, to honor him, and to demonstrate to the world what it means to truly be a follower of the one who loves us with perfect love. And we thank you in his name.